0: Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing, and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval show at As always, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Wonderful to have all of our listeners uh, tuning in to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Hope that you enjoy our programming. I hope that you're getting your fill of the Catholic faith and how we live our lives here at the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Of course, we talk about health, our mental health, our spiritual health, and our physical health. Uh, And today's show is going to be interesting. It's going to be, you know, I say we talk about health, and today we're going to talk about death. And why are we talking about death? Well, There's a lot that goes into death and dying. Um, And notice I'm saying it's two different things, death and dying. But I think it's an important topic to explore. Recently, uh, a lot of things have come up around the subject of death, and especially in light of what's going on socially and all of our ills. And we start looking at it from a different perspective. Um, I've got a few patient stories to share with you today. Uh, And as Catholics, I think it's important to think about death from not just the Catholic view, but from the secular view as well. Because if we understand what it means to die, um, and we think of it without any level of faith, I think it helps us to appreciate where we're at when we do have a level of faith. And I think it helps to assuage those fears. Um, it can be pretty scary, right? There's no doubt about that. It can be actually very, very, a scary thought for some people. Um, but it's interesting to see what happens when it actually does happen when I see this happen at the hospital or patients I deal with. But before we get the show started, let's go ahead and say our angel is here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, that grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, May by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. get some good prayers in there today. A good uh, Angelus and a good... Uh, Saint Michael, as we always do here at the top of the noon hour, um, <clears throat> interesting topic—the topic of death. You know, how often do we think about it? It's not something that I think we go about every day focusing on or thinking about. Um, but when it does come, when it when it behold when it comes to our life, whether it be uh, due to a family member, due to um you know for myself you know I experience it because I, I work in the health field and so we're always dealing with death and dying and and trying to save lives as we say um but lately for society as a whole I think we're we've been talking a lot about death because why people have been getting sick we've worried about this pandemic and we're wondering what's going to happen everybody's trying to preserve life, and we're trying to figure out the best way to do it. Uh, And, you know, we're trying to see what's the best medication out there, what's going on with the different illnesses, what's going on with the virus that's going around, and do we know enough about it? So one, it can be very uh, tricky because death can be scary. We can be scared of death. Well, I got to tell you, I had a patient in the hospital recently, um, and we were called, uh, I was called to go evaluate the patient and see how they were doing and, and what was going on, and they were in the ICU unit. Now, the interesting thing about this uh, patient, this case, is that this patient's passing away, Uh, and this is why I say it's interesting to look at this from both a faith perspective and a secular perspective, because this patient, they were in their late 70s, early 80s, if I recall correctly. Um, they were in the ICU unit. They were not doing so well as far as their kidneys were failing. Um, their heart was failing. Their lungs were filling up with fluid. Uh, you know, everything, the body was just breaking down. The body was telling us, you know what, it's this is a, it's time. Um, it's time that that I'm going to die and that I'm not working the way uh, I would work in a way to preserve life. You know, if we're going to think of this scientifically, you know, the body God made our bodies in a way that our, I would say our heart's supposed to beat a certain way. Our lungs are supposed to expand. The muscles are supposed to respond and coordinate with the nervous system. And so we have all these complex systems going on. And if you look at the body, it's an incredible machine. If you look at, you know, you can't design a much more complex, more fluid machine. We're always trying to do that. You know, we try to do uh, computers and robots and see, well, how close can we get them to being human? And for as efficient as we can get the machines to run, I don't think anything's ever going to be efficient as our bodies. If you think about it, our hearts are beating from about the second, third, you know, definitely by the, uh, by the eighth week of, of life, of course, the eighth week of conception, of course, our hearts are beating and we can hear it as early as say the fifth week, the fourth week. It really depends on a case by case basis, but right away our hearts are beating and it keeps beating until our moment of death. And for this person, We've got a heart that's been beating for, you know, we'll just say 80 because I think that was ballpark the age, um, close to 80 years. So we got 80 years of a beating heart nonstop where this electrical conductivity just starts and it beats and it starts and it beats. That's a long time. That's an incredible machine. And the machine itself is telling us what it needs right? The body tells us as we go through life, it tells us of whether we're hungry, we're thirsty, the brain has our sense you know, we can figure it out through our senses. Our brain lets us know, Hey, you got to go eat or Hey, you got to go drink or Hey, you got, you need something, you know, you're in pain. And it tells us exactly our nervous system tells us exactly where the pain is in our bodies. You know, it's in your elbow, it's in your toes. It's an incredible, incredible machine. And I think that due to it, due to the machine being so incredibly efficient for the most part, now I know people are going to say, well, Doc, you know, I've got family members who their bodies don't work as well. They were born with this defect, or, you know, they lost a limb somewhere, unfortunately, in a tragic accident. Yes, things happen to the body. But when it's running the way that we assume it's supposed to be running, when it's running the way that we think it's going to be running most efficiently, what an incredible machine it is. And, Due to that, obviously, we have the medical profession because all of a sudden we look at it and we say, hey, and the body heals itself. We know that the body can heal itself and we can help it along with the right medication. If somebody has an infection or something along those lines, you give them an antibiotic and that infection is going to be taken care of. Incredible machine. So we're always doing things to preserve life and to preserve the body going. It gets to a point, however, and we all know this, where the body, the way that it tells us that we're hungry, we're thirsty, we need to start listening to the body at the end of life and realize the body's telling me it's breaking down. The lungs aren't doing what it's, what they're supposed to be doing on their own. And the heart's not doing, it's not beating the way it's supposed to be beating on its own we can preserve life for as long as we want. We can say, well, put them on a ventilator and, you know, put, you can get the heart pumping and get, get everything going. We can hook up the body to machines to no end and keep it going for a long time. Yet eventually, even if we were to do that, even if we were to say, you know what, my loved one, I think they would have wanted to be on a ventilator, do everything you can, keep them going. As we say, don't pull the plug. You know, I'll use a lot of layman's terms here, but you know, we say, hook them up to the machine and keep it going. All right, fine. Eventually, though, most people, we will succumb to some kind of an infection, more than likely a bacterial pneumonia, something along those lines. There's things we can't prevent, and eventually the body will break down. But for this particular patient, patient was conscious, uh, was speaking, was telling us how they were feeling, and their body's breaking down. And they knew it and they said, you know, I'm ready to go. I, I don't want any extreme measures. I don't want CPR. I don't want you to do anything extraordinary. If my, if, if this is my time, this is my time to go. All of a sudden, you know, the, as, as this is happening, we want to make sure that we inform the family. And so the wife was at bedside and she was okay. Um, and she said, okay, yeah, you know, my husband, is. this is his time to go. Um, and he's going to, you know, we're here and, and they were praying. That was one thing that was that was noticeable, is that they were praying. Now, they weren't necessarily Catholic, but she had her Bible, and they were going through the different Bible verses, and she was very much uh, uh, there for him and said, you know, we are faith-filled and, and we're ready to go. Now what happens? They call the rest of the family. They call the kids, and one of the kids says, I'm flying in from out of town. They were from out of state. They were going to take a flight. It was going to be the next day. And the mom was said, you know, I, I let them know, um, this could be at any time and, and they're gonna to take a flight out here. Um, is there any way that we can assure that my husband will be alive? For the next couple of days, and we said, "Well, you know, he doesn't want any extreme measures, and we we got to make sure that uh, um, you know he, he, we respect his wishes and that he's comfortable. But we'll do what we can. We'll continue our, our treatment as far as we can until until the son comes in from out of town. Someone was, someone was in a different state, and all of a sudden, um, we hear that the as the conversation is going, uh, the son's very upset, and the son's upset because he's saying that the hospital is going to kill his dad because we're not going to do everything for his dad and as we as we learn a little bit more about the story we were we you know the son was conversing with with the the patient's wife and as we learn more about the story she was saying well you know we've been having a lot of trouble with the son he had other kids and they were local and they came and they were all at peace and they were talking to dad and mom, and and they were crying, and and they were talking to the doctors, and we were trying to give them the whole explanation of, you know, your dad's had a good life, but the body's breaking down. Well, this other son from out of town, not so happy with the situation, and in fact, not happy at all, very angry. Very, very angry. And it was interesting to see the dynamic as to why the son was angry. We were trying to get the story from the mom, um, from the wife of the patient, to see what was gonna happen in this case Where we have a patient who's dying everybody's at peace but we got an out-of-state relative a son who wants to keep him alive until he gets there or we come back on the other side of the break to hear what happened in this case all right well welcome back to dr lou sandoval show here on the most powerful video as always it's a pleasure to be with you today we're talking about an interesting topic we're talking about death and one of the ideas here is are we afraid to die and why you know we're gonna get into the nuances of am i afraid to die or am i afraid of death and those can actually be two very different things but if you were listening to us if you've been joining us now we were talking about a case of a patient who was in his 80s and he was in the icu unit And he's on the brink of death. His body is breaking down. His kidneys aren't functioning. Lungs aren't doing well. They're filling up with fluid. Heart's not beating the way it should. It's off rhythm. Things are just going south, as we say, in terms of his physical uh, health. And we can all see that. Um, It was interesting to see, though, because as I had said before, this patient followed the Christian faith. He wasn't Catholic, but he and his wife were both Christian. I don't recall the denomination, but uh, what I do recall is that she was there with him. They were reading Bible verses. They were praying together, um, and they were actually kind of walking that journey towards uh, death to see how he would uh, do. She was supporting him. And then when they informed the family members, the kids who were here locally uh, felt pretty good about it. And well, in terms of as good as you're going to feel about your loved one dying, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, um, you know, they, and what I mean by feel good is they were coming to terms with it. They were finding peace with it and they were praying along with their mom and their dad, um, to this moment of death. But they did have a son who was from out of town. He was from a different state and he was very upset. He was not ready for this. He did not want this to happen. He wanted to fly in and he wanted to make sure that as he said, the doctors didn't kill him before he got there. Anyway, needless to say, uh, the patient didn't pass away yet. He was in the ICU for a few days and the son was coming into town and he flew in. He showed up at the hospital and it was an interesting dilemma because now he came in and he said, you know, this is not what my dad would have wanted. He would have wanted to be on a ventilator. He would have wanted um, to have more heroic measures. And we had to sit down with him and say, well, but we've been talking to your dad and he's been telling us, you know, that this is where he's at. He said, no, you know, I spoke to him a few years back uh, and he had told me that regardless at the moment of death, he, he wasn't ready and he wanted to extend his life as much as possible. Well, it gets into an interesting situation because now we start talking about advanced directives. What do patients really want? You know, what which family member knows them best? And had the patient not been conscious, this might have been a bigger dilemma. We might have had to gone back and look at documents, talk to different people. But since the patient was conscious and the patient himself was telling us, no, this is where I'm at now in life, um, It was very challenging to discuss anything with the son because he wasn't making sense. The son was not rational at this point. So we had to have a family meeting because the son kept calling the hospital, kept calling the doctors. And we said, we're not sure what to do with him because the patient himself has already told us what he wants. And so we sat down and we sat down together and we had a meeting with the son and the dad. And it turned out that as the conversation was going on, the dad did say, yeah, you know, when we talked, I remember that conversation a few years back when we talked, uh, and that and he, and the son said, yeah, that wasn't too long ago. And the dad said, actually that was about seven years ago, um, that we had that conversation and we haven't really had many conversations since then, but you know, I've changed my mind since then. It's okay. And the son was having a really hard time with this. And he's like, no, 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 this is not possible. How in the world did you change your mind? And he says, we haven't talked in seven years. It's like, you don't know me anymore. It's like, you know, you'd think that you, if you reached out, you would have found out, but you know, you haven't been there. Well, there were certain issues going on with the family at this point. And as this conversation came about, we started to learn more and understand more about this relationship. And one of the hard parts was that the son, his job took him away from the family. He was away in a different state and he hadn't really uh, talked to the family members like he used to for about seven years because he was so focused in his work, so focused on his job. Um, And he thought after he left... When he came back this time, seven years later, flies back in for a moment. You know, he had flown back in for holidays. He'd been in touch and said happy birthday to his siblings. But when he flew back in now for this crucial moment in the family's time, it became apparent that He hadn't really lived with his family, you know, and it's hard. And you say, well, Dr. Sandoval, of course he didn't live with his family. He was in a different state. But what I mean is he was out of touch. You can be in a different state and be in touch. You can call often, talk often, and still continue to know your family and grow together with your family. But he was so entrenched in his job that he was out of state, out of sight, out of mind, as we say, and he would touch base with his family, but he hadn't had a real conversation with his dad. Somewhere along the lines, he knew that, and he wasn't really aware of that. It was more of a subconscious thing, but it became very clear for him when he heard that his dad was gonna die, and all of a sudden, he had a wake-up call, and he realized as he's flying in here talking to his dad now that he doesn't know his dad anymore, and at the end of the day, he really just felt guilty. He was not ready to say goodbye to his dad, and he was not ready to say goodbye to his dad for a few reasons. We got to know the family a little bit more, Like I said, the family was very uh, Christian. They were reading their Bible. They were praying. But the son who was following his job had kind of fallen away from the faith. He had fallen away from the church and he was no longer practicing. Somewhere along the lines, though, since he was brought up in the faith, he was feeling guilty about all this. And he was feeling guilty, not just because he was facing his dad passing away at this point. And, you know, he came to the hospital, he saw everything and all the doctors had a meeting with him and showed him what was going on. And he had to come to terms with the fact that his dad was going to pass. There was no question about it. The body was telling us it was time, but he wasn't ready for his own death. He started getting scared of his own death because he started feeling that he was far away from the family, far away from what he had been taught far away from the faith. Now, I'm not saying that he was even leading a sinful life. It, it didn't, uh, uh, that didn't necessarily come up, you know, in in a way, you know, what we imagine is a sinful life. We imagine a sinful life, almost like the prodigal son, where he spent his money supposedly on gambling and women and things along those lines. No, this son, he was uh, leading a, a, what we would consider in, in the secular world, a good life. Um, you know, he went off to prosper. He went off for a job. It was a good paying job and he was doing well in his company and moving up. And, People would say, well, how you can't shake a stick at that. You got to follow that. But this is where I wonder if God defines sin differently than we do when it comes to things of that nature. Because if we look at the commandments and we have honor your father and mother, you know, what do we think about when we think about that commandment? Part of honoring our parents is respecting the traditions that they taught us. And I think for this son, I'm not saying that it was sinful. I'm not here to judge him as a sin. But I'm thinking if he didn't take heed to what his parents were telling him, the lessons that he learned from their Christian faith and values, and he turned and he made something else his God, such as his career, his job, his money, I think this is where it comes back to haunt him, if you will, a little bit. He's faced with death, and he's now faced with, in reality, not just his dad's death, but his own death. And he's looking at this and he's realizing his dad's going to pass. Eventually his mom was going to pass. She was getting up in age too. And she was overall healthy, but she was getting up in age. But he had to come to terms and ask himself, did he follow through with what his parents taught him? Did he follow through with the life that his parents taught him? What was he chasing in this world? Because if he had been taught to follow God and all of a sudden, he was not necessarily seeking God first, and he put his job in front of God and his family, and that's really what he was feeling. He felt that he was being too materialistic. Is that a synonym of itself? Well, yeah, it can be, right? Because all of a sudden, one, I mentioned the fourth commandment. Are we honoring what our parents taught us and taking heed of that and understanding that? And two, are we putting God first, the very first commandment? Are we putting God first? Are we honoring God as our first parent, as the one who, as our creator? And I think that gets kind of scary when it comes to death because all of a sudden we're faced with death and we have to ask ourselves, what is it really that is after death? You know, I could go to the secular route and, and say, look, you just got to make money. You got to get a good career. You got to get a good house. You got to get a good car and you're set. That's what it is. That's what life is all about. And if that's what life's all about, and I've not never been taught that there's a life after death or a God that I'm going to have to, um, face and be in judgment before. Hey, that might be good enough. If I was taught that, you know, this is it, we're going to die. And and there's nothing after death. You just go to sleep and it's lights out. I might not feel guilty because I might say, look, that's what I've been taught. That's what I know in my heart. And if something else comes up after that, well, I'm not responsible for it. But I think that, and and that's the secular view, but I think that if we look at it from the fact that you have been taught You have learned something stays in us. You know, we are people of faith. Something stays in our heart where we're very well aware that there is something, there is a life after death. There is something that's going to be there that I'm going to have to, um, you know, come before and give an account to. I'm going to have to give an account to God. And that's what really the son came down, you know, at the end of the day, that's what he came down with. That's what he was telling us. And that's what he was feeling guilty about. It was actually an interesting way that he came back to the family and he came back to the faith because he was crying more than the rest of the family. And I think it wasn't just that he was crying for his dad's death. I think he was crying for himself. I think he started to realize a few things. One, he started to be afraid of his own death because he was facing his own death. But I think he started to be really sad at the fact that his, his, uh, love for this career, his chasing this career, his going and making good money and, and leading a good life. It wasn't that that was bad in and of itself. It's that he had made such a drive for that they started feeling that he had lost time with his family, lost time with his mom with his siblings, and with his dad now who was going to pass It was interesting because he had this moment where we had we called the chaplain from the hospital so he could come and come for the family and talk to them and he talked to the son and he talked to the family, and the son was crying more than everybody else. He was the saddest one out of out of everybody there um but he started to we saw a change in his heart. we saw that he started wouldn't say soften, but I would say come back to what was important to him. And sometimes that's what it takes to shake things up. And his dad was telling him, you know, I think that God doesn't let anything go to waste. And he said, I think that the fact that I'm passing like this, um, the fact that this is happening now, it was to bring you back. Um, That was shocking for the son. He was, he didn't know what to do with that. He, um, he felt very, frustrated and, and he said that in many ways he felt embarrassed. Um, but it was life changing for him. And I think for him in particular, he had really strayed from the family. And he had really started to focus on the, um, the material things of life. You know, this is where I think it, things can get kind of scary for us as we start thinking about our own death. You know, we don't necessarily always think about death. We don't necessarily always think about my time to die. But when I looked at the story, at least for me, I was, I was sitting there and thinking, Am I thinking about death enough? You know, a lot of the saints always put death in, uh, in front of them. A lot of them, sometimes you'll see pictures or holy cards or things where they're holding a skull and you're thinking, well, that's kind of morbid. Why is the saint holding a skull? But it was actually a practice called memento mori, which means... You got to think about your death, have death on mind, realize that you're going to die, not in a morbid way where you're trying to kill or it's not sanguinous or anything along those lines, more the idea that yes, this life will be terminal and I'm going to have to take account and give account to God. And I have to focus on my death. And that can actually be a very, very positive thing. I can tell you from a mental health psychiatric perspective Thinking about our own death, while it can be very, very scary at first, can actually be very healthy because it can lead us to all of a sudden ask ourselves, just like the son did, the son comes before his own death as he's seen his dad die, just like he did that, he started changing his life. He said, I can't believe I've done this. I can't believe I've been so far away. And And it wasn't that he was meaning to. He felt more embarrassed that he was blindsided by it. And I think that that's what happens to us because I can't vilify the son. I can't say that he was a bad kid. I can't say that, oh my goodness, look at what he did. Um, it was so, so bad, and and he was saying, no, not at all. That's what we do in life. Sometimes we're blinded by uh, our goals, but if those goals become our ambition, all of a sudden, before we know it, we let the trueness of life, our family, our friends, get away from us, and we don't even know where we're at. More of this when we come back from the break on how we can face our own death. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Um, and today we are talking about death. Not a you know wonderful topic to talk about in a lot of people's minds, but I think it's a great topic to talk about because the reality is if we believe that Christ died and rose from the dead for us and we believe that there is a life after death, then it's something to look forward to. I think one of the challenging things of this world is that we get distracted at the end of the day, that's really what, what happens is we get distracted from that, which is important. Um, and you know, if you're listening in, we were talking about a story about a young man who actually, I was talking about a patient who was passing away in the ICU unit and his body was just breaking down. It was a natural death. You know, he had some illnesses in his life, but there was nothing catastrophic. I can't say that, you know, oh my goodness, he had this cancer or anything along those lines. Um, it was just the body was na- was breaking down natural death it was it 's the most impressive thing because, as the body breaks down naturally, we see that happening and as medical professionals sometimes we 're so prone to fix things right we 're used to people dying of something, so if somebody 's got cancer, we want to go and fix a cancer If somebody has something else we want to fix it um, and on our quest to fix everything, uh, we forget that the body sometimes is just going to naturally pass away and If you were listening to this story, uh, the patient was passing away, but one of his sons came from out of town who had not been following, had not been keeping up with his family, had not been in touch with the family uh, in terms of growing with them, uh, had not been following the Christian faith that his family had uh, taught him to follow. And he was really, really, really torn up about this. He did not know um, what to do with himself, and he was crying. and, And it was really a beautiful conversion story at the end of the day because he stopped being distracted is really what happened more than anything else. He had followed his career. He had done well for himself. But then at this moment, when he's faced with his dad's death, not only was he faced with his dad's death, but he was faced with his own death because he felt like he had failed his family. But it was a distraction, and it turned out to be a beautiful reunion. It turned out to be a moment for him to question what was really important in his life and what he wanted to do with his life um, from then on. you know, He, he wasn't going to quit his job necessarily. He wasn't going to come back to uh, move and live with his family. He wasn't going to do something that drastic. But he realized it was something actually very simple, You know, for him, it was strictly a matter of, I need to put my family first and put God first again. I'm going to be going back to church. I'm going to put that first. I can do that and keep working. But I'm going to be calling my family more. I'm going to be reaching out to them more. I'm going to put them at the forefront of what's important to me. Um, And I think that that's kind of where we want to be if we're going to be peaceful about our own deaths. You know, this makes this question I have to question my death every time I see this. I have my memento mori situation where I got to ask myself, what is death all about? And what is life all about, really? Because if we start thinking about death, it puts a whole different perspective on life. You know, I said we get distracted we get distracted here on earth and we start to think about oh i need to get this car oh i need to make sure that i purchase this oh i need to save this much money so i can go on this trip i need to go somewhere else and those are all wonderful things i'm not going to say that they're not enjoyable it would be it would be lying to say that it's not fun to buy a new car who doesn't think it's fun to buy a new car and check out all the features and the buttons and the whistles and everything and that's wonderful you know as we say uh, all the bells and whistles on the car Wonderful. Who doesn't think it's fun to take a trip if that's what you enjoy? Some people might not like it, but if you enjoy trips, who wouldn't want to take a trip and plan it and see where we're going to stay and what are we going to see and what's the view from the hotel room and what restaurants are around and what culture is this? These are all wonderful things that we have before us and nothing's bad about that in and of itself. However, if we're doing this, if it's consuming us to the point where it's a distraction from what's truly important That's where all of a sudden we don't necessarily want to think about death because all of a sudden death kind of takes us away from that. It's an interesting uh, thing that happens when we start to focus on our own death, when we start to practice memento mori, when we start to practice thinking about my life is finite and I'm going to pass away. Guess what? That focus on death, it actually changes my perspective on life or what I consider life or what I consider to be important in life. Because a lot of people say, you know, I'm afraid to die. And we got to ask ourselves, why? Why are you afraid to die? Where is that fear coming from? Um, and it can be a few different things. So let's look at, you know, three different things that can cause the fear in life or excuse me, the fear of death. Um, one of them is that I might not be that I'm afraid to die because I'm afraid to to meet with God. You know, I'm afraid to to meet with God because I feel like I haven't had a good life. Okay. that's That's a common fear. Another one is I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of of meeting God. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of pain. I'm afraid of how my body's going to die, and um, that the unknown of that that's kind of scary, and that's perfectly fair. And then the last ones, a lot of times, well, the three topics that I'll talk about. I'm sure there's a lot of other ones, but these are some of the main ones that I see in the hospital. Is I'm not ready to leave my family behind because I feel that things I, things aren't prepared. What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my wife? And that's very fair, right? Because we have a sense of responsibility to our family. So there's these fears of death. I'm afraid of meeting God. I'm afraid of the pain I might go through in life. And I'm afraid of leaving people behind. What's going to happen to them? Well, guess what? All those fears can pretty much go away if we follow our Catholic faith. Uh, and We're going to talk about points on following our Catholic faith down the road. But like I said, sometimes we got to look at things from a secular perspective, because when I'm working in the hospital, when I'm working with different people, they're not all Catholic to begin with. You know, I can assume that I in my mind, I just kind of take it for granted that, you know, death and God and faith. And, you know, I put all these things together and I think, yeah, why not? Everybody's going to be faith-based at the moment of death. But it, it, being in the hospital reminds me that, you know, not only is everybody not Catholic, some people might be Christian, but some people might not even be be Christian. There are different faiths. And you might have friends who have uh who follow different faiths or who are agnostic or things along those lines. And when the topic of death comes up, I think of a couple things. One, I think it's a great time to share my faith and and share why I think that my perspective of death and why I don't feel that scared of death, shall we say, but I think it's also a good time to gain their perspective and to really stop and listen to them because I could easily say, no, you're totally wrong. There is a God, there is this, and you got to think about that. And I can come on really strong that way, but that might actually turn people away versus I remember this conversion story. uh, It kind of sticks with me because I realized Nobody, nobody told the son anything about, listen, you got to follow the faith this way. What are you doing? You're completely wrong. No, it was the experience. He saw the experience of life. He came before his dad. There was no question about it. And he had a reversion. As we say, his heart turned to God again on its own. God working in that moment. And sometimes I got to remember if I'm, if I'm speaking to somebody who's not of the faith, God is working in that moment. I don't have to convince the person. God will do that. And if I lead a life where I'm following God, I think they're going to see that in me. They're going to see that in us. They're going to see that in the way we approach death and our perspective on it. But I think before anything else, we have to listen to what their perspective is too. That's what we had to do with the son. We had to sit down and understand, help me understand why you're so scared. Help me understand why you're so upset. Help me understand why you're so angry at the medical staff. You know, things are happening around us. It's out of our control. The death of your dad is out of our control and it's out of your control. Why is it so frustrating for you? Help me understand that first. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're listening to the last segment here on the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Thank you for joining us. If you've been listening to our show, we're talking about death and dying. And what does that mean for us as Catholics? You know, it's interesting because um, in that story I was sharing uh, about the son who came back, We see conversion happen all the time. Like I said before, we always gotta remember God is the one working to do the conversion. A lot of times we feel that we have to do this work or that it's up to me to convert somebody. Um, But the reality is I'm gonna convert people by the way I allow God to live in my life. By the way, I allow myself to be wholly at the mercy of God. I've been going through a few points on this article. It was an article from the Huffington Post a few years back on death and how to prepare for death and our thoughts on death. I like to see things from a secular perspective just because where I work in a hospital setting, Obviously, people come from different walks of life, different faiths of life, and it's easy for me to just assume that everybody's got some kind of a faith-based Christian background, but that's not always the case. And so this article is going through a few points on how we can face death a little bit. I like to see it from a secular perspective so I can maybe understand my patients a little bit more or even the people around us, right? So as I was going through these points, one of the points says, read the available literature and self-help guides about death. I think that's important. And I think that there's a lot of books out there. You're going to find a lot of different things out there on self-help, shall we say, and different literature on death. But as Catholics, I think the most important self-help book that we're going to have is the Bible. Um, And the other self-help guides are going to be the saints. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. As soon as I finish reading this article, we're going to look at a different, uh, uh, some quotes I found from saints and a different article there. Another point that this article makes is adopt rituals and explore spirituality. I like that. Hey, and this is from a secular perspective. It says rituals and explore spirituality it doesn't tell people to follow a particular religion, but, <clears throat> um, well, let's see what the article says. It says, whether you are religious or not, rituals are important in creating a sense of meaning in life. They also give continuity to our existence. And this is very true. A ritual can be as simple as taking a walk every afternoon or lighting a candle each morning. You can recognize a seasonal change or something emotional or physical happening in your life. The choice is completely yours. Um, if you are curious about your family's religious practices or want to explore new spiritual ideas, now is the time. Don't be afraid to ask the tough questions about the afterlife. These are the only questions with the potential to guide you to a deeper understanding of your faith or any aspect of your life for that matter, which is all true. What I like about this is the the one line that I like about this section here is if you are curious about your family's religious practices or want to explore new spiritual ideas, now is the time. That family religious practices and that story I shared, that was one of the big things for the son uh, when he came back. He had felt that he was falling away from the family and part of being par- uh, a part of a family is realizing that families do things a certain way. You know, we have our own rituals, we have our own practices, and if his family was Christian to begin with, and he fell away from going to church on Sundays, reading the Bible, saying his prayers the way his family taught him to, that can be a big deal. You know, and that happens to us as well. We always think about the gospel of the prodigal son who uh, chose to fall away. It sounds like he did it on purpose for this for this gentleman that I spoke about, you know, coming back to his family, I think it was just the distractions of the world. It was just a way of the world getting in the way of reminding us or failing to remind us of what's important, you know, uh, in the world we're so used to, I got to get the right job. I got to get the right car. I got to get the right life. Um, and that can be very, very challenging because all of a sudden we find ourselves in a moment where we look up from all that and our loved ones passing away. And then we ask ourselves, what was it all about? You know, why we didn't have the rituals, um, or the, the spirituality, we didn't follow it the way we knew how. And sometimes the rituals can be as simple as reaching out to my family every now and then and making sure that they're okay and talking to them and making sure that we are living together, uh, even if we are fall apart, but we're sharing life. Um, the next point the article makes is focus on living well. It says there are so many simple things you can do to live a healthier and more positive life. In fact, sometimes the smallest steps applied consistently lead to the biggest changes. Make a commitment to walk every day, rain or shine, explore your passions, write a bucket list with all the amazing things that you want to do before you die. If you are busy leaving, living, you won't have time to worry about dying. Well, some good points there. Um, I think that the most important thing I would take from there said, Sometimes the smallest steps, applied consistently, lead to the biggest changes, and that's really what it comes down to for us in our Christian's life, in our in our faithful life. Um, as anybody will tell you, nobody is made a saint overnight, and the saints themselves will tell you, "Yeah, I didn't become a saint from one day to the other. It's about living every day." with the small steps applied consistently. I always go back to the little flower, St. Teresa of Lisieux, it reminds me her little way as she would call it, uh, makes me think of the smallest steps, how she would just do everything with love. Everything she did, she offered to God, she offered it with love, and that's what got her to heaven. And That's what made her one of the most recognizable saints. She was declared doctor of the church, you know, by doing just the simple, simplest of things, and that is loving God uh, in everything we do even the smallest actions. It sounds simple, you know, and I think it's easy to follow. It's about being consistent though. And then the last point was plan for your passing. Many of the questions that we have about dying are religious or philosophical in nature, but what about the practical concerns? Many of us worry about dying because we wonder what will happen to our family after we are gone. Will our children be happy? Will our spouse be able to recover from our passing? If so, will they have enough money to continue to live the kind of life that they deserve? And so that's one of the things that I mentioned before, right? So there's a few different ways or different few different fears that people have about death. One of them is I'm not ready to meet God. Another one might be, yeah, I think I'm ready to meet God, but I'm afraid of how I'm going to die. You know, is it going to be painful? Is it not going to be painful? What's going to happen in that moment? And the the last point I said was sometimes we worry about, gosh, if I die, what's going to happen to my family? And this article makes that point, you know, so it's an important point to make because we got to ask ourselves, Am I able to provide for my family after I pass? Is there a life insurance policy? Do I come for money? Do we not have anything? These are some realistic conversations that we might not want to have, but that are important to have because um you know we have our families and and we might want to sit down and say, "Look, if I were to die today, God forbid um this is what what are we looking at? This is what we're looking at what are we, are we ready financially? What do you think would happen? What's our plan? These are questions that sometimes we don't want to ask, but are important to ask too. A lot of times people start to prepare their wills. A lot of times people make sure that they have their burial plots. A lot of times people prepare in different ways, and that can kind of ease that fear of death as well. Um, and so that was an interesting article. I think it's good to look at things from a secular perspective at times and to see what is it that... um. um we are afraid of when it comes to death. How do we overcome that? And how can we relate to other people? Because not everybody's going to have that Christian perspective, that faith-filled perspective when it comes to death. A lot of people might be driven by money. A lot of people might be driven by the idea that there's no afterlife. So it's good to have different conversations and to be prepared for those conversations. But more importantly, it's good to prepare for those conversations with our families and as Catholics to gain that Catholic perspective. I always say here on the Dr. Sandoval show, we have to think Catholic so that we can live Catholic, and then we can say that we are Catholic. Um, and so, some of the things that I would like to talk about now is let's go to those self help books that we have in those different perspectives. One of my favorite passages from the Bible uh, comes from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. And it's where Jesus says this He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the sower of flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think that that's a great passage, and a lot of people might say, well, Dr. Sandoval, but that's about materialism. That's about, don't be materialistic. Don't worry about your food or drink or your clothing. You know, worry about the kingdom of God. But I also think it's a matter of life and death, because look at what Jesus says. He says, therefore I tell you, this is the first line to that, this is in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. I think that's important because Jesus is telling us, don't be materialistic because God is taking care of you. And that's all that you need. He says, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. I think Jesus is saying, get busy living for today. Don't worry about later. Don't worry about your food or clothing. God will take care of all that, but start living today. And I think that that's how we can conquer death. If I know that today I am doing what I need to do, if I put my faith in God, I really, that's what this comes down to is, am I putting my faith in God? I'm going to live my life today the way I know I should. And I'm going to leave all the rest to God. I'm going to put my faith in God. If I can do that, then everything else is going to take care of itself. Even death, even to the point where I say, God, I leave it up to you how I die when you're ready to meet me and when I'm ready to meet you. Um, and I'm going to today live for you. I think that that's probably the best self-help we can get you know i'm not going to worry about yes this art of this passage in the bible is about materialism but i think it's more in line of materialism in terms of not being materialistic so that we can prepare for the afterlife you know god is saying don't you think there jesus is saying don't you think that god our father is going to take care of you not just in this world, but take care of you for the next world. I think that that's what I gather from this passage more than anything else. All right. So that was a great quote from the Bible, a great Bible verse. But I like to hear about what the saints are saying, because sometimes we turn to the self-help section and we're going to hear about, you know, if you go to the library, you go to a bookstore, you even go online and you look at self-help, you're going to hear from a lot of different people who are supposed to be experts, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, life coaches, as they call themselves, And, um, you know, you hear all these different things, uh, from different people. Well, why not hear things from the life coaches, the spiritual coaches who we call the saints, who hopefully we strive to just a few quotes here at the end of the hour. I think one of the most important ones was this, the more we are affected in this world, the greater is our assurance in the next, the more sorrow in the present, the greater will be our joy in the future. That was St. Isidore of Seville. No matter how hard things get here, death is actually gonna be something to look forward to because the next life is so good. Let me give you one more quote before the show ends here. Live so as to not fear death. For those who live well in the world, death is not frightening, but sweet and precious. That was St. Rose of Viterbo. I like that. If we live today well, if we live in this world well, death is not frightening, but sweet and precious because we know that at that moment of death for ourselves, We're going to come face-to-face with a creator who loves us, who has prepared a world for us, and who's going to know us better than anybody else. Until next time, I'd say let's keep praying for each other. Let's pray to St. Joseph for a holy death. And as always here on the Dr. Lou Sandoval Show, we say keep it Catholic. We'll see you here until the next week.